0: I didn't particularly want to do this,
1: but I'm just doing it for the ghost. So, love you, uncle. This is Al Blamires, Jr. AKA little Al to most of the older guys that are out here. My dad is Alan Blamires, um, friends with the ghost. As a little kid, Al Jr. spent time with his
2: dad and the crowd his dad hung with, including someone you met in episode 10,
1: Charles the Ghost Kennedy. First Amendment. Charles was in a car ride out to go see him. Beautiful home. It was amazing. Um, I remember vividly the the yard because I spent most of my time out there. He had a lake. There's a little stream that came into it. I think there was a stone bridge over the top of it. And of course, there were the kennels, full of Charles's pet wolves. Wolves everywhere. I loved them. And I couldn't believe they brought me in there because they were taller than me. Um, I remember being terrified and also in awe at the same time. I saw it all as a child. I was going on calls with my dad, making phone calls in the middle of the night at payphones and going to the parties and being whisked into the bathroom in the house because I wasn't supposed to see the drugs on the tables and the people doing whatever they were doing. So that was a little eye-opening for me. It's the life. It's, it's what they did. So when I was a teenager, it kind of all clicked. What clicked? The fact that I knew one of the biggest drug dealers on the East Coast.
3: <laughs> so far, we've told you plenty of stories about Wise Guys. Today, we're gonna to tell you about the people behind the Wise Guys. Their children, and parents, and siblings. What's it like when someone you love is a notorious criminal, and you thought your family had baggage?
2: Today's episode, the ghost's empire starts to crumble and the people around him suffer the consequences. I'm Mark Smerling. And I'm Zach Stewart-Pontier. Welcome to Crime Town.
4: Everybody went away, so to speak. So, you know, we began to take a look at Charlie. Nobody knew too much about him. He was impossible to watch.
3: Charles, the ghost, Kennedy, burglar, drug dealer, drug smuggler.
5: <laughs> I started off with one ounce. Then I went up to like maybe 10, 12 ounces. Then they'd give me the bags. I was making like maybe 10, 15 thousand a week when I was, it was unbelievable. It was flying off the, it was, I couldn't keep up with it.
3: And this Blackhawk helicopter, unusually low altitude off the deck I see a face that I thought I recognized. It was a DEA agent, and I said, this is trouble. They were on you. They were on me big time. That's the house I grew up in right here.
2: Number 14.
3: Yep, 14 Webster Street. This was my whole
2: world. Before he was a drug smuggler, and before the pet wolves and the mansion and the parties with strippers and cocaine, Charles Kennedy grew up in a working-class neighborhood on the outskirts of Warwick, Rhode Island.
3: Well, there was um, my mother and father, my two
2: sisters and brother.
4: My brother is Charles. Charles Kennedy, we called him Charlie when we were growing up.
2: This is Charles's oldest sister, Gloria.
4: And we had a really tiny house, little bungalow, you know, we were st- we were stacked in. I almost wanted to say like inmates, but I don't think that's a nice thing to say, <laughs> giving the conversation.
3: What was Gloria like growing right up? Ah, she was a smart ass. <laughs> we were always at, at odds was a brother and sister and was always clawing for top dominance.
4: And um, I didn't really want to have anything to do with him.
3: And of course, I was catch the brunt of any my father's furor. I took a lot of physical abuse. She did too. My father was heavy-handed. Silence and rage and discipline.
4: Charlie and I would uh, were abused physically by him. And um, that's what made me tough, you know, because you think, oh, that's love or that's normal or, you know, that's home. I just wanted to get out of there. I just wanted to, to leave. I just wanted out.
2: Charles and Gloria both wanted out. Gloria threw herself into school. Charles threw himself into a different pursuit.
3: One of the first things I stole was, uh, I was in the fourth grade, there was a field trip planned, and we were going to Mystic, Connecticut, and Mystic, Connecticut had a gift shop. My father, I don't think he gave me any more than $5. We're in the gift shop, and I gotta get my father something. I gotta get my mother something. I gotta get my sister Gloria something. I stole everything. That night, I went home at dinner, and I had a bag, I had a shopping bag. And I was so proud. And uh, my father says, well, what do you got there? I said, well, uh, I bought everybody a gift. I'm passing out the gifts, and my father's looking at the, the ticket items. And one gift alone was like $25. He goes, Did you get sticky fingers? Are you saying that I stole that? Yeah, did you steal it? I said, you're practically giving the stuff away. I said everything was on sale. What can he say? But I liked the idea that I was able to provide for my, everybody was happy. They loved their gifts and it it empowered me. It made me feel good and that started it.
4: My brother's extremely smart, okay? He was very smart. He could be, he could have been a CEO of any company.
3: Why do you think Charles went this way and you went that way?
4: I, I, I really don't know. My, my brother and I were like oil and water. Here he is climbing the ranks of whatever he was doing and you know, I wish to climb the ranks in politics.
2: Gloria's career in politics began in her 20s when she got involved in the State Women's Caucus. Then, she started managing local campaigns. And then, in 1976, she mounted an underdog campaign of her own, running for a state Senate seat in Warwick. They thought I was going to walk around be this
4: tough-ass feminist, right? Did not touch anything about women should do this, women should be allowed to do that, because I wasn't a dumbass. I tried to do bread and butter issues. Plus I also had the tricks, you know. I pinned my hair back, I had my little A-line skirt on, carried dog bones for the dogs, and so as I went door to door and I wore out four pairs of shoes it was great.
2: To everyone's surprise, including her own, Gloria one, the sister of an up-and-coming wise guy in the patriarchal crime family, was now a state senator. She turned out to be a tough-ass feminist after all, working to protect a woman's right to choose and passing new laws against sexual assault.
5: The Senate considered a bill which would make it a
3: crime for a witness to a rape to fail to report it to the police.
4: In Rhode Island, rape is not a spectator sport, but a criminal offense.
2: Here's Gloria, speaking on the Senate floor.
4: We in Rhode Island recognize the seriousness of this offense by being the first state in the country to enact legislation of this magnitude.
2: Eventually, Gloria became the deputy majority leader and was appointed to the Judiciary Committee, which oversees criminal laws. And where was Charles during all this? Well, it was around this time that he was making his first forays into drug dealing. And their worlds collided one day when Gloria was having lunch at a fancy restaurant on Federal Hill. With her were the attorney general, a few powerful state reps, and her mother.
4: My poor mother worked all the time. And I always wanted to do something nice for her, you know? Take her out to a nice meal and some of my crew You know, the people that I hung out with. I'm at like the head of the table. I think, A.G.'s over here, my mother's there, and I'm looking straight out the window. And all of a sudden, I see my brother getting patted down by the state police.
0: And I'm going,
4: oh my God, please nobody turn around.
3: I get pulled over. He gets me out of the car. I'm looking up, and in the picture window is my sister, my mother, in the attorney general in the state.
4: It, 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 it felt like it lasted forever. Boom, slamming them on the hood. Feeling them right? You know, press. The back, the legs, the crotch, this and that, trunk open. Just the usual pat down, right in front of the damn window.
2: <laughs> and then, everyone at the table turned around and saw Charles. And my mother's like, oh, there's
3: Charles, hi. She's so naive. It was, It was classic.
2: It was so classic. for Gloria this was just the beginning because often when Charles ran into problems with the law like this they became Gloria's problems too not long after Gloria was home one night when she heard a knock at the door a woman was standing on the stoop Charles's first wife
4: she's holding a bag and i know whatever is in that bag i don't want in my house and she goes you got to take this you got to take this because they're going to they're going to get charlie they're going to get him and I go, that bag is not coming in this house. You're not coming in this house. And it was like, oh my God, my heart's like, ba boom, ba boom, ba boom. I could, just, I mean, you always imagine the headlines: Senator Gloria Kennedy Flick busted, or confiscated, or she's got this at her house. You know, it's like, no, go away, please, just go away.
2: But family never goes away. The reason Charles's wife was bringing the bag over was because Charles had gotten himself into trouble.
3: I had been arrested for conveying contraband into the ACI. That was and, the scotch? That was the scotch. Those were cases of scotch that I'd smuggle into the prison.
4: Newspaper, television. Oh, there's my brother. Gets busted for bringing alcohol into the ACI. Great.
2: And to make matters worse, she was actually on
3: a committee uh, for inmate rights and something of that effect, uh, the betterment of uh, the population there. And of course, once the news media got a hold of that, oh boy, did they make that thing out to be like she was involved.
2: At the time, Gloria was up for re election, and one of her opponents brought up her brother's recent arrest.
4: He said, I should resign from the State Senate because of my brother. Oh, well, I put on my white suit with my nice little bow, pin my hair back, and I'm live television, and they're asking me questions, and I remember finishing, I am not my brother's keeper. End of story, but I had to always face stuff like that over my brother.
3: You can't help those things in Rhode Island. It's so incestuous like that. Everybody is plugged in or related somewhere. And unfortunately for her, it didn't look good with the, with the antics that I was up to and who I was connected with. In
2: 1983, Gloria lost her Senate seat. She says it wasn't directly because of her association with Charles, but he certainly didn't help. They'd always put my name in the
4: newspaper. Anytime he got in trouble, they put brother of Senator Gloria Kennedy Fleck and the name, the name, his name, my name, his name, my name, all the time. It's been, I mean, it's, it's been really hard for me. Uh, you know, everybody, oh, you were so smart, you so this, you so that. If you got a mark on you, that not mean nothing.
2: After leaving the Senate, Gloria went into broadcasting and raised her children. But she kept hearing about how her brother was rising higher and higher through the criminal underworld to become an international drug smuggler. And it frustrated her. So finally, at her wits end, she tapped an old political connection.
4: I remember calling the attorney general and telling him, when are you gonna arrest my brother? You know, when is this gonna end?
6: My name's Russ Olski. I'm a DEA special agent. I was the principal case agent in the drug conspiracy case against Charlie Kennedy.
2: That's coming up after the break.
0: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness.
6: So we in the DEA office in Providence were contacted by the uh, Royal Canadian Mounted Police. They alerted us to a suspected smuggling venture that was underway between Colombia, Venezuela, Canada, and
2: Rhode Island. This is Russell Hulski of the Drug Enforcement Administration. He's currently posted in Bangkok, which is why we're talking to him by phone. Back in the mid-90s, he'd just been assigned to the DEA office in Providence when he got a tip.
6: They had a source inform them that Charlie Kennedy was in contact with a Colombian national who was up in Quebec City and was putting together a large cocaine shipment. I knew we were talking about upwards of 100 kilos to several hundred kilos of cocaine. And if somebody from Rhode Island had a hand in that, then that was something we were very interested
2: in. By now, Charles had been running his massive drug smuggling operation for more than 10 years. And no one had caught him. But that was about to change.
5: So I was going to California to pick up some weed for the ghost.
2: Remember Big Al Blamire's? He was Charles' enforcer for many years. And sometimes, he'd go on drug runs for Charles. That meant flying to California with cash strapped to his body.
5: So the ghost takes me, he gets me a fucking silk jogging suit, like four times two my size. So you could never do that now. But I had, I, I had you know, my, it was like this, I was wrapped up with money.
2: Met Charles's drug contact and gave him the money. Then he stood back and watched as his rental car was filled with bales of marijuana. I'm saying, oh Jesus Christ!
5: It looks like I got ten bodies in the trunk. So I was, yeah. You know, so I, I left and I started on the highway. And I wasn't speeding. Right. I was just doing the speed limit. I was clean shaven, and I'm going down a highway. Fucking Illinois state trooper pulls me over.
3: Al said he wasn't speeding, and I don't think he was. Get out of the car. Gets out, they handcuff him. Then they inventory the car, open the trunk, and there are bales of marijuana in there. He was carrying, I think, uh, 250 pounds
2: of, of marijuana. Al went to prison in Illinois, and Charles was out a quarter of a million dollars. Agent Russell Holsky started closing in. Holsky and his team staked out Charles' house. They tried to follow him. And they tapped his phone.
6: We know that he's talking to drug dealers all the time. We know he must be meeting them. He's calling pay phones. Pay phones are calling him. So we know that he's out and about making his living doing what he does. We start basically surveillance operations. We took note of the days that he put out his garbage, we would go out to the curbside and take his trash. Pulling people's trash is not a fun activity.
2: But it was in Charles's garbage that Holsky finally got the break he'd been looking for.
6: At one point, early morning hours, we did the trash pull and we found cocaine residue on plastic packaging.
2: And with that, Agent Holsky took his investigation to the next level.
6: Uh, we applied for a federal search warrant.
3: It was about 10.30 in the morning. It was snowing out and I had just fed the, uh, the wolves. <laughs> I had leftover Chinese food from the night before and I put it in the microwave. The doorbell's going off. I, I go out there and it's the dog officer. I know him because he's always over. He's like a pain in the ass. And he's got the dog truck, animal control and um, he says to me, he goes, uh, oh, uh, I got a call, the animals are loose, Uh, I gotta go check. I says, all right, you pain in the ass. I said, let me go get keys to the kennel and we'll go out there. I went, I got the keys. I got halfway down the stairs and the back of the van doors open up and they got automatic weapons on me, it's the DEA. To change
6: me. And when you raid a, a location, your heart's definitely uh, beating faster and you got focus, you know, extreme focus. You know, you want to come out of it alive.
3: That will be
0: the way.
3: Where they bum rush me, their eyes all like pupils all glaze, and there's a bunch of them. Get your fucking hands up. Don't you move, you motherfucker, don't fucking move. Right away, my mind goes, fuck.
2: They searched every square inch of the property, both inside and outside. We
6: were trying to locate some drug money that we were told was buried in that wolf pen. We uh, opened the wolf cage, and while the live wolves were inside the cage, we began digging inside. And, like, we held, we held shovels and weapons, you know, just in case they attacked. I look back and think we were crazy to go in there with, you know, with wolves.
2: There was no drug money under the wolf pen, and they didn't find enough drugs in the house to put Charles away for very long. But they did find, meticulously kept records, of all Charles's smuggling activities. And that was enough.
6: He had drug ledgers, credit card bills, rental car receipts. One in particular, I remember uh, one of his associates, uh, he called Cuz, Alan Blaymeyers, had done time in Illinois uh, in the year, year or two before Charlie was arrested. He had got caught. Uh, smuggling marijuana across country and got arrested by the Illinois State Police. And through the records, we we linked that to directly to Charlie.
2: So is it fair to say that you're the man who brought down the ghost? With help from my friends, yes.
4: And I've got the television on channel 10.
2: Again, Charles's sister. Gloria.
4: Then I hear the bump about big, big-time drug dealer. They got him. I'm going, good for them, right? Well, the news comes on, and there's my brother walking with his hands behind his back and the handcuffs, and I go, oh, my God, it's my brother. Of course, you know, I felt bad for my mother and fathers, especially my mother.
2: Charles says... The moment he knew he was going to plead guilty came when the DEA started putting pressure on his family. Charles had given his father money to buy rental houses and had taken credit cards out in his father's name.
3: That is not a good feeling. When they hold leverage over your family like that, it's like, you got me, go ahead, sentence me. I remember one agent was even saying, your brother's probably in Mexico right now. My brother, he's never been arrested in his life. He's been working at a electric bolt. For 41 years, since he got out of high school. what's he, But this is the cop mentality. This is what they think. Oh, your whole family's corrupt. I said, no, it's me. That's who's corrupt. He,
2: he was sort of saying that there was a lot of pressure being put on his family, and that's why he pled guilty.
6: No, that's, that, that's not true. Uh, he pled guilty because we had a rock-solid case against him. There's no way Charlie Kennedy would have pled guilty if he could have beat it. He, he, was an, he was an arrogant guy. I think people that sell drugs hurt people. I mean, the families are harmed. The family goes through a lot of pain.
2: For guys like Charles and his associates, a life of crime seemed glamorous and exciting. But for the loved ones around them, there was another side to it.
1: first memory of your pop? Um, my first, well, you weren't right to it, didn't you?
2: This is Al Jr., Big Al's son, and the kid from the top of the show who
1: hung around at Charles's house. My earliest memory that's really vivid was the fight between my mom and dad when he took me. He was out drinking a lot, getting into fights, coming home covered in blood. And my mom had been, she got tired of it. So there was a fight. She was, I think she had left him at that point. And my dad lost it, wanted to take me because she was trying to take me out of state. And um, he hit her and took me. Just remember the clang of the phone because it was one of those old ones that hung on the wall that had the dinger in it. He ripped it off the wall and hit her with it. And I didn't see him hit her with it, but because I was facing the other way. But I heard it, like the, the clang, and then the crunch, and my mom on the floor, and he had me on his shoulder. So when he turned around to leave, that's when I saw my mom on the floor. Then the next thing I remember is is being in a police station, and being in the back of a cop car, or a car of some sort. I don't remember if it was raining, but I don't know if it was because I was crying, but they were taking me away.
2: The violence and chaos of a criminal life that gets passed on, leaving sons and daughters and siblings to struggle with the legacy.
5: He was, the, he's the old school. Okay. Know, so do you know there's a website about you? Yeah.
2: No, I didn't know
5: there
3: was no website. Hey Jules, where's the computer?
2: After Al Jr.'s mother left Big Al, she remarried and had a daughter with her new husband. When that daughter was in college, she put up a website detailing Big Al's history of violence against her mother. There's pictures, police records, and a poem the daughter wrote about Big Al and her mom. The daughter didn't want to be interviewed and neither did her mother, but we asked Big Al to read her poem.
5: Hey, hot mama. She called him Moose. He was 26 and had slim hips that swayed and swivel as he walked. Struggling with the weight of his chest, muscled and popping the, the buttons. On his light blue shirt, He called her gorgeous, baby doll, hot stuff. In August, 1980, 19 and ripe. And she is 19 and ripe with baby blues that thought they had seen it all. Today she's wore snug purple corduroy pants, cupping curves and slimming thighs. Her pink cashmere sweater one size too small. <clears throat> Had short sleeve. And was dyed. Touch me pink. She smelled like cute and apricots. And he's sickly. Sweetness. He saw her. Stamped his feet. I grabbed her out of there. And how gorgeous baby doll. Hot stuff. After work, they grabbed pizza and beer. She wondered what the food would be would do to her figure. He wondered what he could do to her figure. It wasn't long until they figured it out. (laughs) I can't believe that though. I tortured her. I used to come home at night covered in blood. You know, she, she didn't know what the fuck was happening. She was a good girl. My son's living with me now. Right. After all these years, he, he moved from Nebraska and he's in my cellar. But I'm with him now, yep. my son.
3: hope for something better uh, in prison, whether it's uh, a better phone call, a better meal, uh, something. But you live on,
2: on, on hope. Charles the Ghost Kennedy was sentenced to 15 years. He was moved from prison to prison and towards the end of his sentence was transferred to a medium security facility in Fort Dix, New Jersey.
3: The highlight of the day is uh, the mail call because you got money coming in. You got your newspapers, you got letters.
2: Charles was at mail call one day when someone approached him. And he goes, you're from Providence? I said,
3: yeah. He said, "Uh, were you related to uh, Gloria Kennedy? I said, that's my sister. That was my sister. It was all I double dated with her and a, a girl she fixed me up with and she was in the Senate.
2: And who was that guy in prison who had double-dated with Charles's sister? It was Buddy Cianci. Yeah, that Buddy Cianci. So how did Mayor Buddy Cianci end up in
3: prison with a drug smuggler? We'll get to that in two weeks, when we return with the final three episodes of this season of Crime Town.
2: Crime Town is me, Zach Stewart-Pontier, and Mark Smerling. We're produced by Drew Nellis, Caitlin Roberts, Austin Mitchell, and Mike Plunkett. Our associate producer is Laura Sim. We're edited by Alex Bloomberg and Caitlin Kenny. Fact-checking by Mick Rouse. This episode of Crimetown was mixed, sound designed, and scored by Matthew Boll and Kenny Kusiak. Additional mixing by Enoch Kim. Our title track is Run to Your Mama, by GOAT. Original music by John Kusiak, Kenny Kusiak, Otis Clay, John Ivins, Edwin, and Beanart. Our ad music is by Matthew Boll. Our digital editor is Rob Zipko. Our design director is Ale Lariu. Alex Bloomberg is the Father. Here at Gimlet, we're stacked in. I almost want to say like inmates, but I don't think that's a nice thing to say, given the conversation. This season of Crimetown is dedicated to the memory of Bill Malinowski. Thanks to the Providence Journal, Julia Hamans, Emily Wiedemann, Lisa Newby, Kate Wells, Mary Murphy, Dan Barry, Pat McNulty, Brian Andrews, and everybody who shared their stories with us. For a full list of credits, bonus content, and to sign up for our newsletter, visit our website at crimetownshow.com. You can find us on Twitter at Crimetown and on Facebook and Instagram at Crimetown Show. And if you're enjoying Crimetown, leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It really helps others find out about the show. Thanks. Providence is a special place, and we're honored to tell a part of its story.